You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians Episode Review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Episode 13, The Finale, We Have Brought You Little Cakes. Written by Sierra Gamble and John McNamara and directed by Chris Fisher. IMDb gave this an 8.9, so we're up from an 8.6 from last episode. And the summary is, Quentin, Elliot, and Margot enact a risky plan to protect Fillory. Penny questions fate and Katie makes a deal to help him. Now, the title here, I'm sure you'll recognize, Jason, is a callback to the season one finale. Have you brought me little cakes? Of course. What's interesting, though, is the episode was originally supposed to be called It Begins, which feels fitting to me because this is more like a setup for season three, I think. Also, I don't know if you remember, but in last year's finale, you had Quentin narrating the opening and seeing explanations and flashbacks of what was going on in Fillory. And this time it's Ember. Actually, I forgot that. One thing we should note is Christina sounds different, and that's because I have casted her out of this world. <laughs> and she. I'm in a land without magic. Yes. Through magic, we're able to Skype her in, but that's from our end. No, We've she's. Overlaid space and time, so the sound is a little funny. <laughs> the truth is, she's at her parents' house, and I am here in studio. So she's going to sound a little weird, which sucks to happen on our season finale, but such is the world. Life, I guess. And we have so much good stuff to talk about. So hopefully we focus on that. There was a lot going on in this episode. I'm really excited to get into it. Before we do, though, Arjun Gupta, leading up to the episode, talked about what we can expect in this season's finale. He said, it feels like there are six different endings during the episode. It's definitely the biggest of our series to date, and we've had a lot of big episodes. So they asked him, the biggest ever, are you sure? And he said, he's not exaggerating. It's not even a risk saying it. I'm not even stepping out on a limb saying it. It is by far definitively the biggest episode. There's death, there's blood, there's unlikely heroes. If you could put everything into one, this is where it would be. I have to agree. I absolutely agree. I loved the higher stakes, the plot-filled finale. The intro from Ember is interesting because it could and should have been a little ridiculous. He was basically giving us an info dump and it took up a good portion of time, but I really liked it. It was about six minutes long and it didn't feel too long. It was very entertaining. It was funny and informative. He spoke with a rhythm and the juxtaposition between the way he was speaking, which was, you know, about serious stuff and some dark stuff, but he was speaking in in such a light tone that the juxtaposition between that and the piano music behind it really gave this quality, this depth to that scene. And it's good. It's kind of like this is everything that's happened these last 12 episodes to make sure you remember everything and, and uh, you know, let the show begin. Well, that and more, because I felt as though we really did need some explanation on all of the events. There have been so many things happening in season two, different threads to follow This was a good way to peel back the curtain a bit and explain to us what's been going on in the world. All those loose threads, or so we thought, were starting to be tied up here. And in fact, I thought both gods were much more interesting as characters in this episode. The emotion between them felt very real. 
I also thought it was great to see the crew coming back together again and seeing what they can do when they work as a team. Now, <laughs> the ending wasn't great, but they never have all the information, so it's not really their fault. Oh, I have to agree with you completely. Throughout the show, we have crew members helping other crew members. I won't get too deep into it, but we have Penny helping Katie. We'll talk about that further. We have Elliot helping Julia. Yeah, their relationship has been building really well. And we have Q helping everybody. <laughs> like always. <laughs> yeah. The weight of the world on his shoulders. Now, there's so much to talk about this episode. I really, really, really enjoyed it. It was exciting. It felt short because of how exciting it was. The beats were perfect. And I've said this before, a lot of things were answered and a lot of really interesting things were opened up. And we saw characters or at least hints of other characters coming back that we were hoping would come back and that were strong in the one or two episodes they were in previously. Yeah, it was mostly upsides for me. I'm going to rate this really high. I did have a few downsides, such as I didn't think we got enough time with Ember and Umber. They were so prominent in this season finale, and I thought, wow, they're just getting interesting. We're getting to see the balance behind Fillory, why it is the way it is. So I was actually wishing for a little more of that, but hopefully this leads us into the story of the old gods, which could be even better. That's true, but I have a feeling we won't see the old gods at all. Maybe a little towards the end of season three, but those are going to be one of the hidden characters, I feel. And I agree with you with the gods, you know, it would have been fun now that we know that Ember was behind all of this, and we'll get into that later. It would have been cool that being in the know, seeing our crew struggle to fix things in Fillory, and then seeing him play with them a little bit. Yeah. From his, from his place and, and, you know, casting something else that kind of puts a kibosh on what they were planning. It would, be, it would just be fun. Now, I know you can't do all that in one episode, but maybe... They could have sprinkled that in last episode. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a writer. I don't know how they would do it, but that's something that would have been cool. I agree. And this also left me with a bit of frustration thinking about moving forward because how long are we going to have to be without magic now? I felt like we were just getting to the magical awesomeness that is Fillory and what's occurring with our characters, and it's been snatched away. That's our new T-shirt, Magical Awesomeness. <laughs> Yeah, well, we do see at the end, Julia has magic, so maybe yes. it won't be too, too long. And we know that Mayakovsky has those batteries as well. Yeah, I'm hoping that he has more and wondering why we haven't seen them yet in the last scene. We'll talk more when we get there, but they make it feel like a good deal of time has passed without magic. Two so months. I don't know what's going on there, but Dean Fogg is never in the know. <laughs> no, he's not. He's always foggy. <laughs> Very good. Speaking of Arjun Gupta, I went out on a limb and I tweeted him today, telling him that our Clatchers would very much want to have a small interview with him on this podcast. And Melly liked it and tweeted to him as well. I don't, you know, I don't know if it'll pan out to anything, but it'd be really cool to have him in the bonus. So there's a few things that are going against us. One, we have about 10% of our listeners following us on Twitter. So if they don't know anything about our podcast, it looks like we're smaller than what we really are. Yeah. If we had all of our listeners, all the downloads that we get, if they were all following us on Twitter, I'm thinking maybe we would have better luck. He'd see how many followers we had. So if you're not following us, it would be really <laughs> awesome for you to follow us 
and tweet at him with us attached at CKC Podcast, asking him if he wants to be on our podcast for our bonus episode. This would be so fun for you guys and for us. I think it's worth trying. If he uh, says no, he... We're, we're fine. He doesn't, uh, him saying no doesn't cast us away out of fillery, but <laughs> you can say we at least tried. I, I think for me, it would be especially amazing. I always enjoyed, for a different reason, his character from the books. We've talked about how the penny of the books was a different person, but I found him fascinating. And I think Arjun has done an amazing job of translating that, bringing something new to the characters. You know, I'm sure part of it is the way the writers are, are doing it, but his acting is fantastic. If you've been listening to our podcast, you know we really enjoy him. He's one of our favorites. A quick note, you'll hear our bird in the background. Christina has him. So this is kind of a throwback to our old podcast before we had a, a separate studio room. So <laughs> yes. enjoy it. It's kind of what we've lived with before. And he's a great, he's a great bird anyways. He wants to be on the show, Jason. He's trying to talk about the season finale. I thought putting him on our website would be enough for him, but apparently it's not. Maybe I have to bring him little cakes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into new faces and places. For faces, we saw the Fairy Queen, played by Candace Kane, ruler of the fairies, although we didn't get too much information on her yet. For places, we had the Pocket World, which was great. The miniature world inside a globe that Umber created. Bland, rigidly OCD, something totally opposite to Ember's Chaos. For creatures, we didn't see, but we heard about something called a lamprey. This is some sort of terrifying creature that is after Alice for revenge. Uh-oh. And I think that's going to get really interesting next season. Lamprey. How do you spell that? L-A-M-P-R-E-Y. Do you think it glows? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can tell you a little bit about lampreys in general. They look a bit like an eel. They're a jawless fish characterized by their toothed, funnel-sucking mouth. And they're mostly parasites, so they're best known for feeding by boring into the flesh of other fish Ugh. to suck their blood. They have elongated bodies, large eyes, and one nostril on the top of their head. So they don't glow. They do not glow. And they live mostly in coastal and fresh waters. So I don't know what that's going to tell us, but it's going to be kind of a scary sea creature. So she just has to stay away from water. Unless okay. it can come, come in through the pipes, like she can't take a shower or a bath. That would be scary. Well, on to spells and magic. We had the protective potion that Q gave Alice, which rendered her unable to physically harm herself. That was key. That's a good protective potion. Yeah, one of the ways that magic just keeps surprising us in everyday use. Well, I'm hoping they can, well, they can't now, but eventually use magic to fix Margot's eye and Fen's toes. Seriously, that was a big cost. We also had the spell residue which whatever spell was placed upon the poison room, the residue is still killing Penny slowly. And finally, the reappearance of that amulet that Julia got from Ilario, which makes you invisible to a god. That residue, it's tricky because they can't really treat it like anything normal because it's not like you have a cancer spot or tumor where they can treat the tumor. It's as if you had cancer all over your body and there's yes, no one stomach. place to treat it. Yeah. And doing a lot of damage from what we see later. Please tell Achilles, this isn't fillery. We don't understand you, dude. All right, let's get into it because this episode was epic and we might as well just jump into the plot. 
We open with Ember narrating while we see flashbacks of the past and an image of the world of Fillory from afar. It is I, Ember, god of Fillory. Feel free to bow and grovel. I'll wait. Oh, but I've got so much to tell you. I, with minor help from my brother Umber, R.I.P., created a world intricate as filigree. And that is what I called it. Except I was a bit drunk, so filigree. Chock stuffed with magic, chatty animals, sexy creatures. Really, what a planet. I calibrated everything for maximum entertainment. I decreed it be ruled by children of Earth, a glum little planet known for its plucky magicians. These brave souls would come and when they got boring, off they went. Case in point, Martin Chatwin. So right off the bat, we see that this world was really his plaything. And his idea of fun is very dangerous for anybody that lives inside of it. Because once they get boring, off they go, a la Martin Chatwin. Yeah, I think I've said this before, but picture yourself playing Sims. You're on the computer and you're creating your own town. And when you get bored, I haven't played Sims in years, but when I got bored, that's when I'd start being destructive. And that's Mm -hmm. when I would have things, you know, I'd kind of abuse the characters because to me, they were just pixels. So to Ember, humans and these creatures that he created are just pixels that he can mess with as he feels and doesn't feel any remorse at all from it. Absolutely. We play Sims to be entertained. That's all we care about. We don't care about any character or what they're going through. We're, we care about how they're playing. So if you put it in that term, he's not necessarily a quote unquote bad guy, if you think of it that way. But obviously we're not going to because we are those Sims characters. And actually that makes complete sense. He was looking at the entire crew as characters, stereotypes, instead of who they are. He called them the addict, which is Elliot. The victim, that's Julia. The bitch is Margot, no surprise. The scowl is Penny and the martyr is Alice. I thought this was a great quote here. He says, the danger of sublimated trauma was the major theme of the story. So he was playing with tragedy, like Alice's death. Something scary when she became a Niffin, throwing a wrench into the story, like what Julia's change did to Q's journey. And little twists here and there, such as Penny losing his hands. Yeah, so even from that point, he did something to the guy who guards the river to piss him off so that when Penny came, he was already in a bad mood. And any little thing that Penny did, which, let's be honest, especially in that stage of his life, even if you were in a good mood, he could put you in a bad mood. So he kind of started that fire and just let it burn using Penny's personality as Kindle. Yeah, and right down to little things like the candy witch, who he promises will come back into play. Yes. Now, remember, that was the first episode, right, of season two? I think so, yeah. And I said, don't worry, that blood vial and the witch will come back into play. And you bet your sweet ass that either episode one or two of season three will involve that blood and the witch. I agree. It turns out he was also behind antics such as causing Fen to ovulate on the right day so she would become pregnant and lead the fairies into the situation. He was behind the whole wellspring mess because he broke the filtration so things would be unpredictable and fun. Oh my goodness. And he says the order caught on to him because of the great blank spot, but he was so nearly finished with Fillory that it didn't even matter. And I guess on the eve of this destruction, as he describes it, he's getting it all out of his system. Increasingly crazy things like changing the climate, turning the council to rat. He calls it his grand opus, Fillory's last gasp. Okay, so put yourself again back in that situation playing Sims. You've had enough of the game. 
you're about done, you're going to uninstall it from your computer. But you're going to sit down one last time and just reap the rewards of everything you built and destroy, destroy all of it and enjoy that. In that's the most basic- interesting way possible. Yep, and that's what he's going to do. Yep. Let me ask you, before we go any further, let's go through everything he said about the crew. We have the addict, which is Elliot. How would yeah. you describe Elliot as an addict? Well, he certainly was before he came to Fillory, right? He was looking for any type of escape or the least bit of pleasure he could get from external things, getting drunk all the time, having sex even with complete strangers, throwing these parties. He almost had friends as pet projects, like the way he took Q under his wing. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know how to deal with his problems by actually facing them. And funny enough, Fillory has allowed him to step up and do so. He had no choice but to. He was even trying to supplement a way to numb himself by reinventing wine. Yep. Which became moot. He should have just invited Josh over earlier and they could have gotten high a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now we have the victim, which is Julia. Now this, of course, could be about what the fox did to her. But mm-hmm. I think also, if you look further, she was the victim in this loop. As far as she was the one that was shunned away in this loop, not allowed to go to break bills, shown the light, just close enough, but not able to touch it, and then brought out of the light. Sort of exiled on the outskirts of our group, but also Julia as a character tends to focus on her own victimization, and maybe we don't always see it like that because she is a strong person, and she's doing things about it, such as seeking out revenge. But despite her action, it is always revolving around the bad things that have happened to her. You know, she's not invested with the plans the rest of the crew are going through to help all of Fillory and help all of Magic, at least up until the end of season two. That has changed as well. But the better part of the story, I could see why he's labeled her that way. Yeah, I think she's had the most tumultuous journey this season or these two seasons. Everyone's had a pretty bad one. Penny right now is the worst off. Pretty high up there, but that's how you see the difference of what I'm talking about, that he's been through a lot of stuff too, but instead of focusing on his personal problems, he's always invested in how to help the rest of the group. Right. Talk about how they've all changed. They have all really grown out of these roles, right? Margot is given that bitch title, and while she still has attitude on her, she has used it to try to help people and to step up and rule Fillory. And same thing for Penny. He might walk around with a bit of a chip on his shoulder at times, but he's not focused on that anymore. And now the martyr Alice. She kind of has been the one to step up and take the heat whenever necessary, right? All throughout season one and into season two, she's been taking on the task of developing her own magic enough that she could stand up to whatever force was necessary, such as the Beast, Martin Chatwin. And we found out when it came to their big showdown, she knew what she was going to have to do and the fact that it probably would kill her. And she did it anyway. She sacrificed herself. Let's journey to the cold at Breakbill South, where Q searches Alice's room as she scowls in the corner. He forces her to drink a protective potion that renders her unable to harm her own body. He explains that he brought her back because he loves her, the same as she tried to do for Charlie. He's trying to put it in perspective for her, that I wasn't doing this out of cruelty It may seem bad right now, but there was a reason I did it, 
you even did it for the same reasons, love. Yeah, and by reminding her of Charlie, he reminds her of her past and who she used to be, the emotions she felt, the things that were important to her. Step one of bringing her back to the old Alice, and we'll see many steps that he's going through in trying to do so over the course of this episode. And then we see Penny recovering, quote unquote, at the Breakbills Infirmary, even though he is actually dying slowly from this exposure we talked about. Quote, his lungs are fucked. He has lesions on his spine, like oh. cancer plus. And if they can't fix it, he has two to three weeks left to live. So just when you think it can't get any worse for Penny, it does. Yeah, I guess the problem with his hands doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, that was such a big focus all season long. And now, between the much bigger issue of trying to save his life and by the end losing all of magic, it's kind of a moot point, right? At this point it is, but I have faith. <laughs> yeah, well, if we bring magic back, I'm sure we'll go back to this. But for now, Katie tells him about the fact that Reynard is gone and she never got revenge. And she asks him, why can't anything just be fixed? That's a reoccurring theme, right? That even with magic and all the power they have, it still doesn't fix the biggest of problems that they encounter. And he tells her he wants to spend his last days with her instead of being in the hospital or being mad. But first they have to go see Q and Elliot. This scene, again, is the epitome of Penny. He's dying. And he just wants to get up out of bed and he says, well, I'm not going to spend my last days here. And right away he knows he wants to spend it with the one he loves. Before he can do that, he needs to help Q and Elliot first. Well, and the epitome of what we were just talking about, right? Because the old Penny probably would have sat there and been miserable, feeling badly for himself and angry with all of the things that have happened to him and maybe wanting revenge, just like Katie. But he's trying to tell her, we shouldn't focus on that. You know, don't become Julia, where you are consumed with that revenge. We saw how much it helped her to finally let that go when she came face to face with Reynard and she made the decision not to kill him. That's really what set her free. And I think Penny has come to those same terms, regardless of what happens. He doesn't want to fixate on the negative. He wants to be with the people that love him and he wants to try to help everybody else he can in the meantime as well. If you think back to season one, the first time he goes and helps Quentin and Alice, if you remember they were doing that spell which brings back the beast through the yeah. mirror. He goes and helps them because he's annoyed with Quentin being in his head. Yes. So that does start the whole him being there for them. But his reason at that point was because they were annoying to him. Exactly. And now it's because he loves them all. Back on Earth, Julia is whole again, but stuck on her couch, overwhelmed with emotion. Yeah, this reminded me of what it was like when the crew would put their emotion bottles back, take their oh feelings goodness, back yeah. in, except right. times a hundred. She has this overwhelming sadness, panic. She's having flashbacks to those events, but she's finally doing what she couldn't allow herself to this whole time. She's remembering, she's taking everything in, she's accepting and coming to terms with the negative emotions so that she'll be able to move on. It's almost killing her. This is why she was so tempted when Martin offered her to remove her shade in the very beginning so that she wouldn't have to feel all of that. But now she wants it. She wants to become a whole person again. She just doesn't know how to get through it. I think the show did a great job with reminding us what she is feeling by showing us those flashbacks. I think if they didn't show it, we would kind of know. We'd be like, yeah, I bet she's sad. But showing it, 
it made us empathetic again towards it and actually kind of feel what she's feeling. A hundred percent. And it set the stage for her to not only need somebody, but to need them so badly that she's willing to let them in and allow them to help her. And them being Elliot. I know. Was this the first time we saw them alone? You asked me that, and I'm pretty sure it was. So Elliot comes and asks for help. Q says she has an amulet that will make her invisible to a god. He is concerned for her being alone and cares about her, so he tells her they should help each other. He tells her to come with him to convince Ember to let them keep Fillory. And then we get the beautiful Elliot quotes that we need every episode. What do you say? You want to put some pants on and help me save all magic? This was great. I love the dynamic between the two of them. Who would have thought that Elliot cared about anyone so much other than Margot? And yet again, seeing the change with him and them being able to reach out to each other and pull each other out of their own panic, misery. They have a shared goal. And like we've been saying from the beginning, when they act as a group and bring the crew together, they're so much stronger. And we got that invisible amulet back into play. And we said this a couple episodes ago. Don't forget all these little seeds that the magicians put in. Even if the next episode doesn't put it in play, it will eventually go into play. Well, I was nervous about that because the book did a wonderful job of it. But we had gotten so far with the show and I hadn't been seeing a lot of the threads come around. So I just wasn't sure if they would be able to do that. And they really are. I have to say, they're doing an amazing job. They have so many characters that they have to keep us caring about and keep us remembering and keep all of their individual storylines interesting enough and then interweaving it. You ever watch a movie where there's a lot of stars and it just doesn't end up being that good because there's too many stars and they all end up being, their storylines being flat because there's not enough time to build them all? I think this... Yeah, I think this show does an amazing job of keeping them all up to date, keeping them all important. Yes, there was some episodes this season, and there's 13 episodes, so chances are this would happen, where we felt some characters were kind of getting either benign or forgotten about, but they did manage to rein it all in. And to me, every character, including Fen, have value in my heart. Yeah, 100%. And to be able to grow so increasingly attached to the characters after so much time to gain more respect for them and see their stories open up, I think is really unique. They were able to do something different with this story. Next, we go back to Penny and Katie, who go to Break Bill South, where they see Elliot and Julia. Katie is still mad at Julia. She's not talking to her. And Penny tells Elliot that he read his book in the library, both volumes. That's so intriguing to me. I would love to know what the book of Elliot's life says. How did he have time to read all that? That's a good question. He says they all end the same, as we found out, with 20 blank pages. And Elliot supplies that it's Ember. He's behind all of this. He's been doing his bucket list. And because Elliot's book ends, they know this plan isn't going to work, the one they've been cooking up. But maybe if they do something different, they can change it. This is what I love. And this is one of the intriguing things about putting Penny into the fold of the order. He has a different mindset. The order is under the impression or the belief that once it's written, nothing can be changed. And right away, we have Penny here who goes against the grain and says, it's up to us to change fate. We know what not to do. We just have to make it a point to do something different, something better. 
Yeah, and even Elliot is kind of wondering if this is possible. He says, if we subscribe to a free will view of the universe, they decide to try. He tells him to go get Idri and they will meet up. That's one thing. In the book that Penny read, it says that Elliot goes and gets Idri. So it was strange for him to say you have to do something different, but then right away say, go get Idri. Yeah, that's true. Did it really matter because Idri left on them? Hey man, I know this is going to be a hard fight. I love you, bro. Let's make out. But I'm going to go back. I'm going to bring my son. We're going to go back. And I'm just going to, I have to be there for my people. Come on. And as hard as they try, eventually they wind up in the same place. They, they do, I guess, exactly what they were meant to do, which is to kill the gods, leaving them with no more magic. And that's why the, the 20 blank, blank pages. pages at the end of each book, because there is no more magical record. Yeah, but if everyone died, that would be the 20 pages too, no? Or would That's it say they, they died? That's what they originally thought, but they didn't really know. And having no magic would certainly explain why there's no record. Everyone's a nomad. So it's interesting. This goes back to the same old trope. When you read about Greek mythology, heroes would get prophecies. And anyone who tried to interpret the prophecy and go against it would just wind up recreating the same thing they were fighting so hard about because you couldn't understand the prophecy the way it stood. So now we go back to Katie and Penny. She tells him he should be done now. I calculated a portal to Tahiti. Hold up. No. You warned them. You've done enough. You get to be done. I'm sorry. Believe me, I don't No, none of it matters, Penny. Oh, come on! Penny, you are needed at once. I'm busy. Bit of an emergency. We need our full staff. Are you crazy? He's dying. Yes, because he went into a restricted area, which lethally poisoned him and puts him on strict probation, but most assuredly does not mean he's excused from work. We'll take every step to keep him comfortable. What the hell is wrong with you? Katie, knowledge itself is at stake. That is more important than any single one of us. Before she can do anything about it, Katie is transported back to Breakville South alone. So Katie wants to take Penny to Tahiti, trying to give Penny at least a little bit of fun, a little bit of relaxation before he passes, which is understandable. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to continue to fight. He has still some loose ends to fix. Not only that, but I think he really believes they can change things and they need to work together in order to do that. So once he gets back to the library, this feels like a different issue. The head librarian says... All of knowledge is in danger. After I say that, maybe it is the same thing because when Mario comes, the plumber, (laughs) to turn off magic, the library is a fully magical room. So the way that they're impacted is completely different. Instead of just lights flickering on and off, it looks like their world is crumbling. So maybe that is all knowledge will disappear. All magical knowledge will disappear. Yeah, and that's why we see... The recordings stop. Those are the blank pages. Now we understand. We thought it was something different, but their knowledge is disappearing. And that's really what they were concerned with, I guess. And I don't know how much Penny is really concerned with that problem, but it does feel like he's starting to understand the order a little better. And he would also like to help them if he can. Penny the helper. Penny the friend. The librarian didn't seem too upset with the fact that they they went into the poison room. She said, yeah, I know he's dying because he 
you know, disobeyed orders and went into the poison room or something similar to that. Yeah, but, she says he's on probation, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> so what happens if he messes up again? What are they going to do to him? Do they kill him? Do they put him in a dungeon? Or do they just kick him out of the order? Ooh, I think the only way they would kick him out of the order is if they did some sort of memory swipe. They're so guarding of that knowledge. I don't think they would let anybody else out who has the secrets of the library. Mm. Now we finally get to see White Spire. And it's shown covered in moss and flowers, looking ancient. Margot and Josh find Fen in a dungeon and explain to her that Fillory and the Fairy Realm are overlaid now. They're kind of like parallel universes. Yeah, something has happened to time and space. They're almost coexisting on some kind of plane that allows them to be in two dimensions. Yeah. At the same time, because I think it is the Fillory Castle, but then you have elements of what's happening in the Fairy Realm, too. Yeah, and I like what they did there because they were able to depict something beautiful and ominous, scary, at the same time. Before they can get her out, a fairy comes to them and says the queen will see them now. The throne room is covered in the same greenery, and the fairy queen asks what they seek. While she's taking a bath, by the way. Yeah, that was awkward. Margot tries to argue that their deal was inhumane, but the fairy queen won't negotiate. Again, Margot is bested. She's a good negotiator, and she can get what she wants, but not when it comes to the fairies. We've learned that before. Yeah, they have some kind of long game going that we don't understand. So how could she possibly fight that? Yes, and both times she tried to negotiate, really, she was the one that needed something, and they were the one that wants something. And whenever that's the case, chances are the one that just wants something is going to win the negotiation. She tells them Ember is dangerously bored of Fillory. They underestimate what displeasing him can do. Instead of asking for things, they must offer him something. It's in their shared interest to succeed at this. She gives them a plant that will draw Ember if they bake it into little cakes. Oh, there you go. Thank God you have Josh the baker there. Yep. She can also send them back to Whitespire, but travel from the world costs. They must exact a toll. Okay, so obviously they want them to do something to Ember. They want they need them to take Ember out. But at the same time, they're still not going to just let him go back. Nope, they still have to give him Margot's eye. Of course. And what I find strange about this, we can talk more later. It sounds like they absolutely set them up to be put in this situation to take Ember out and yet the result of that is going to be the death of all magic. So does that not affect them? You wouldn't think they would want that. Well, we're jumping ahead here, but they were still flying in the end of the episode. There was two fairies that were flying. Exactly. So, so do they operate on their own kind of magic, perhaps? I don't know if it's their own kind of magic. It might be just like the Niffin that Alice sees, who still kind of has magic, but it's going away. He's mm -hmm. actually dying because he is pure magic. Maybe they have so much magic that it's not dying. But what vexed me is, why aren't they helping take out Ember? That's what I mean. They just don't seem to care much one way or the other what happens to this world. And anybody who is touched by the wellspring is very afraid of what will happen without Ember and Numbers. So I feel like there's more going on here with them that we don't quite understand. Oh, for sure there is. And I have a hypothesis. Actually, a coworker of mine at work today, we spent about an hour discussing <laughs> the last episode. He has a good theory, and I'll bring that up when we get to the end. Does it have to do with the old gods? No, it has to do with the fairies. That's all I'll okay, say. Okay, 
I was thinking to myself, maybe they are in cahoots with the old gods. And when Ember and Umber came in, it was kind of like having upstarts rule. And they would rather go back to an older way. I'm not sure, but I could mm. see they're a bit mysterious, like they've been following a different path. Well, I see it differently. I see these original gods, these main gods, they built the universe. And they're letting their kids build sandcastles in their universe. Yeah, little worlds. So it doesn't matter to them. If we're at the beach and we're like, go ahead, kids, go build your sandcastle. And then they start trashing it after and demolishing it. We don't give two shits. We care about the universe, our big world. Yeah, until it starts to create a problem, though. I think they probably view the minor gods much the way the minor gods view humans. Like they say before, if they're just sitting there kind of harmless and innocuous, they won't pay them much attention. But the second the humans start to kick up a fuss, now they're going to deal with them. I wonder if you're right. Our Lady Underground has been gone. We're thinking maybe on business. Maybe they were planning something. Maybe they were talking to the fairies. Yeah, like my kids, the minor gods, Ember and Umber, are starting to be a problem now. We need to do something about them. Why don't you just go and bitch slap them a little bit? Back to Breakville South, Q tells Elliot that physically Alice is safe, but mentally she is screwed. He's worried he destroyed her. This is yet another instance of Elliot seeming to be helping everyone. Now, now he's back with Quentin trying to figure out how they can help Alice. And Elliot says he learned that screwing up is inevitable from ruling Fillory. And Fillory needs Quentin. He chose to be a king. And we've been saying that a lot. This is really what Quentin wanted, but he hasn't been spending any time there trying to help it. And now they need him to do so. Plus, they have a plan. So part of the plan is Q goes to see Umber. I was going to ask you how they are traveling to break Bill South so quickly. But we did see Julia like five or six episodes ago, kind of draw an outline of a door and she was able to walk through it. So I guess that, that that's probably how they're doing it. I had asked that at the time, why don't they use that more often? Because it felt like there were very limited ways of transporting and we were losing all of them. Penny's ability, the button, not just to Fillory, but anywhere. And I guess that's how it's happening. Elliot brings Idri to Whitespire to speak to Prince S. And Prince S is sitting on the throne. Was he? I didn't even recognize yeah. that. I don't know what he was doing there. And this is when Idri gives him his old, uh, I need to go and be with my people. And then he trusts that Elliot won't fail. <laughs> no help. Hey man, I love you, but I'm out. Yeah, they kiss. He says that he doesn't want the contract to be null, but he doesn't want to deal with any of these heavy problems either. Well, in essence, Ember is their god. But for the people of Earth, I bet they don't feel like it's their god. So it might be easier to fight them. And the people of Loria have always been a little bit separate. And they've been living without a lot of magic. So I think he probably sees it as different for them as well. Now we see Q knocking on Umber's door. And he says to him, what are you doing here, sad little nerd king? And he tries to enlist Umber's help to save Fillory. And of course, Umber says he can't just show up after faking his own death. He's sad about the death of the world, too. And he likes Quentin, but he shouldn't try to fix the unfixable. He should start fresh, just like I'm trying. Give mm -hmm. up on that. Try something new, like me. And now he forces Quentin to go with him into the pocket world, formerly known as Cuba. <laughs> and we know now that that whole time, Julia was with him, but was wearing the amulet. 
Yeah, that's really cool. That is cool. I wish they shown that, like her putting on the amulet at least. It took me till way after the end of the episode to realize what happened there. How did she get her hands on the globe in the first place? And we should have known they were talking about using the amulet, but I thought Elliot wanted to use it, so they threw us off. They did. How did they know for sure that Umber would want to bring him to that world? What if he just said, I can't help you, buddy? There was a lot of ifs there, but I guess they learned enough about him when they saw him the first time. This is his new obsession, and that's why they said they needed a nerd fanboy. Because Quentin would bring that out in him, the desire to show him what he's created. I wonder if Penny told them that that was written in the book. We just didn't see that part. Oh, that's a good thought. And we'll see more about the pocket world in a minute. First, in Whitespire, Elliot is sitting on the throne when Margot and Josh transport in, and he sees that Margot is missing an eye. She apologizes that Fen wouldn't come back because they have her daughter, but she'll keep trying. But you were doing your best in an impossible position that would have crushed anyone, myself included. Wait, is your good eye crying right now? No. Yes. And it's not my good eye, it's my only fucking eye. <laughs> it's not funny! Dick, I'm a cyclops! A mythological monster at last. Box checked. Just so great the way this show is meta, and they know exactly what we're thinking as viewers. <laughs> Absolutely. We want to see more magical creatures. But Margot admits they're trying to blow past things with banter, the way they always do, brushing it off by being funny with each other and sarcastic. And they actually talk. Elliot says he was angry and scared of what she was capable of. But he knows she was doing her best in an impossible position, so he understands. And they will keep going. That's what they do. Okay, a couple things. What did they want with her eye? I don't know. I thought about that at first, and then I said, I think... This is just how they are. I just want to show them they're powerful and you can't get something for nothing. All magic comes with a cost. Yeah, I wish Fillory had a Tinkerbell instead of these guys. <laughs> so I, I really love that the emotion here felt real. The two of them always have a great relationship, Elliot and Margot, but it's true. They often cover up what they're really feeling, witty remarks and sarcasm. Something needed to be said about this. Because Margot felt terrible. Look at everything she's going through to try to make it up to Elliot. And I think it healed something between them to have him tell her, not only does he understand and it's okay, but the two of them, what they do is they, they just keep going and yeah. they'll find a way together. Oh, I agree. I love in the beginning when they first get there, they even verbalize. Do you want to just move past this whole emotional part and get back to us just... Uh, they don't use chit-chatting, but... um. Basically, banter. like banter, yeah. It's perfect because that's what we want, and that's the best part of them. Yes, and then they fast forward to the next scene, just a quick clip which shows Elliot and Margot are hosting this event. Let's do what we do best let's throw a party. And of course, try to lure Ember in. Josh brings in the cakes that he baked for their guest of honor. We brought you little cakes. And during this scene, I don't know if you noticed, but in the background, they were playing that song. I don't know what it's called, but the best day of my life. Yes. <laughs> it's perfect. The instrumental version. Let's journey into the pocket world. I was really excited about this. <laughs> Quinn stares out at a city of pure buildings and road. 
Everything is white, linear, and symmetric. Umber asks for Q's feedback. Yeah, this is so awkward. Quentin's standing at the window looking at this horribly bland and cold world. It's just black and white. He asks him to come and try the pasta, which is bland. Nothing is good about it. Well, this one, we really start to realize what his strengths are, and that's symmetry. Basically, the skeleton of everything that's needed. But you need harmony. to throw harmony, yeah. But you need to throw some pizzazz. You need to throw some out of the ordinary on it. And that's when you get something like fillery. And when, that's what Q tries to tell him, right? Exactly. Now, I can relate to this because as a designer, I do start off, uh, you have said to me, my style is very clean, very structured. And I always have to start off with that clean and structured and then kind of try to push the boundaries from there. And that's just the way I am. But there's amazing artists out there who just start wild as well. And I kind of envy them. But what's funny is they kind of envy me. Yeah, you need both. and you can see it here. It's the last thing that Umber wants. He is so terrified of the chaos that Ember brings. And if it's just Ember, things are wildly out of control. But each on their own is terrible. There's no balance without the other one there. There's no magic. There's no yin and yang. Q tries to tell him gently that the world is boring, bland, Humans like a little of the unknown, surprising, even offensive, chaos. And that's also when he brings up Ember. This was, he was trying to kind of like slide it in there. And of course, Umber does not want to hear about Ember, who would ruin this world, this perfect world that he set up. He, he throws the pasta on the table and he goes, Ember would create a whole world out of this stain. Mm-hmm. And I really like this because this is when they start switching back and forth between them slowly at first but as the scenes escalate you're getting clips of both of them and what they're doing respectively until you get them both in the same room together these scenes were excellent i mean you have this all-white room or restaurant elliot moving the chair makes a loud noise that kind of disrupts (laughs) the beauty when he has the fork and spoon and he's twirling the linguine it's loud it's loud it's like it's when something is so delicate, so pure, any little thing can disrupt it and kind of feel like nails on a chalkboard. And that's why you need a little bit of chaos organically throughout it so that every little bump, every little noise kind of is in melody with the environment. Nothing there. You can't live there because nothing you do would be in melody with that environment. Yeah, it kind of reminds me like when you go to your grandmother's house, say, and everything is clean and perfect. You're not even allowed to sit on the couch because there's a plastic covering on it. Oh, God. It looks good from afar, but it's not meant to be lived in. And it's no fun. You can't relax and be yourself. And that's what Ember is always bringing to things. You get the perfect example of this next. Where at White Spire, Ember finally shows up for the cakes. Funny enough, he says he loves that Elliot came back even though he was banished because it's a genuine twist. And Elliot tries to play this. He agrees that boredom is death and promises they can make Fillory more exciting than ever with shit tons of drama and surprise. The pitch is actually going well until they bring up Umber, much like what Quentin went through with Ember. Hold on. How are they being boring? Julia killed a whole species of trees. That's out of the ordinary. They were doing a lot of things to mix it up a little bit. I don't know how he got bored. I think he was just missing his brother. Well, that was definitely a part of it. But you can see 
when Elliot starts to bring up some of the things they did, that Ember is liking it and maybe he would like to see what it could be like, but he doesn't trust that he can do it without his brother. They just Uh, had a battle with the beast in Ember's world. I mean, there's so much they did. I don't know, man. Well, they really, they, they don't know how to do it alone as much as they get on each other's nerves. And that's what happens here. It starts going back and forth between the scenes and the gods complaining about each other. Until Ember finally says they should get it over with and just start destroying the world. But even that, he thinks he could do a better job if his brother was there. He hates him, but he had a knack for certain things. The tension definitely was rising when they were both yelling about each other. I don't know. I love when movies do that. It's got this great beat back and forth, kind of like a table tennis. Bounce the ball back and forth, back and forth. And they both have legitimate things that they're saying. But with every yin and yang, you're going to hate things about the yin and you're going to hate things about the yang. And it's the medium that is the beauty. And you need those extremes to find the perfect middle. Absolutely. And what was really cool is we were going back and forth. I knew we were building to something, but I didn't know what it was. I mean, they're both in separate places. It seems like they're just ranting and raving until you go to Q telling Umber they're already in Fillory. God, that Julia was so shows cool. up with the globe, shaking the pocket world, and the two reappear in White Spire. What a great twist. Yeah, I think she, now don't quote me on this, I think she slammed it on the ground after and broke it open. Oh, I didn't catch that. And if she did, how did she not, like how did they know she wouldn't kill them? Seriously. <clears throat> and even Ember wonders, delighted, how is it possible that he's here, that he's alive? After all, he died battling Martin to save him. This is when he realizes. He starts to turn angry. He sees that he was lied to and betrayed by Umber. And the emotion here was just so great. Now, this is when I'd be like, hold up, hold up, stop, guys. Ember, how awesome is this? How many twists did you just see? You and your brother were just outsmarted by humans. What a twist. Your brother's still alive. Holy shit, another twist. You could have never anticipated this. This should be amazing for you. You shouldn't be mad. This is what you want in life. Yeah, but they were so focused on the relationship between each other right now. That that really was a betrayal and it hurt him. And he just, the emotions got away from him. He got more and more mad saying Umber was always the weak one until he started strangling him. He lost control. And as he kills him, we see golden energy leave Ember, and Julia uses a spell which causes it to go into her own sword. Now, we have to assume this is the same spell that they did with Senator Gaines, right? Yes. Where when you kill a god, you take in their magic as long as you have something to contain it in. Yeah, and that sword, I think that was Elliot's magical sword, so it already was set to take powers. Yeah, because it was taking the knowledge from all the people before it who had held that sword, so it makes total sense. And she taunts Ember to come fight her and distracts him while Q and Elliot sneak up behind him. While Ember is busy choking her, Q magics the sword to himself and stabs Ember in the back. And as he dies, he says, Quentin, you always surprise. You know, it was almost endearing, that part. It's like he saw that in Quentin the whole time, and it finally came to fruition. And I was proud of Quinn at that moment. And even Umber said something too, like it was the one thing maybe they could both agree on that they had liked Quentin from the beginning. They wanted him there. Yeah. I and just... the visual there was very powerful too. Both of the gods lying dead on the floor 
together. You said forming a yin and yang, and I noticed there was black and white tiles on the floor. They finally came back together in balance. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you guys didn't see that, definitely go back and pause it at that scene. They form a yin and yang there, beautifully laid out. I just want to stress again how much of a puss Umber is. Like, stand up to your brother, dude. You didn't even put up a fight. You just let him choke you out. I would have liked to see a ram fight, like them both like kind of ram each other in the heads. Yeah, it was really kind of a, a quick death. Yeah, they should have run at each other, heads down, slam into each other, and shake the world a little bit. That would have been awesome. Like, show it. What does it mean for two gods to be fighting in a world they created? Have everything falling apart while they're fighting. That would have been just an epic scene. Yeah, visually stunning too. I guess it makes sense though when we were reading about Ember and Umber from the books and saying that Umber was the shadow one and how could that be? But Ember says here he was always the weak one. He's not the one that's going to stand up to him. Yeah, now we see why he was going to fake his death because he knew for sure that Ember would have killed him. They linger on that shot for a minute and then they go over to the scene where Elliot tells the council they are officially a land without gods. We are officially a land of godless heathens, making today the first day of our societal adulthood. I, for one, am slightly terrified and equally excited and trying not to break into Hamilton. And so, I turn over the next phase of our maturation to our High Queen Margot. We need a constitution. Pardon? These are some pretty good ones here, so let's rip off the best parts. So they're getting right back into action which is what you want from a king and queen. They don't even take time to reflect. They say, we got to regain control. we got to input a constitution. Let's take the best of what we've seen work and make ours better. But honestly, did you see Q being the one to kill him? No, I didn't. But it didn't feel like just him to me. This was entirely a group effort. And that's what I mean. When the crew is able to come together, they are stronger. Now, ultimately, this wound up being a horrible thing, but they couldn't have known that. They thought this was their goal. They each worked together doing what they were good at in order to defeat them. Now, I really love this show, and I hate to complain. I always feel bad when I complain about things. But this is one thing that I find myself complaining about often. The ultimate villain gets his in the end, but too quickly. The beast died right away. I mean, I know they battled him a couple times, but this one battle was quick. It was like ripping off a Band-Aid. The fox... We had a whole season of dealing with him, and then it was that five-minute scene. Yep. And now we have a god, and he dies right away. Yeah. That's what I mean by they should have shown him fucking with them a little bit once we knew that he was the one doing it. And then the gods fighting each other, they should have fought. It should have shaken the world. And I would have liked it if Ember got a little injured in that one fight so that when Q finally does land the final blow... He's landing it to an already injured Ember. There's so much they could have done there. And I understand what they're doing. They're trying to emphasize that as much as we thought Ember and Umber were it, the be-all, end-all, it's kind of what I said from the very beginning. Well, the world, in the books, the world created them. It's obviously not the case here. They created Fillory. And yet still they were tied to it and bound to it in a way that all-powerful gods probably shouldn't be, leaving us to think there's something more, there's something bigger than them out there. And that does set us up very nicely for season three. It's so much more than what you thought it was. And yet, 
in a rush to get to that, don't forget about wrapping up season two. You know, don't forget about the excitement that we have been dealing with Ember and Ember for so long, and we really need to see a good ending to that. Yeah. You know what but else? Again, it's, it's minor because we got a lot of background on them throughout this episode, and, and that was really exciting to see. Oh, absolutely. I would have loved on their website to have a nice video clip of Ember talking to us. That would have been cool. I thought the actor who played Ember was amazing. I agree. Or information about the two of them on the fillery quest. I thought for sure we would get something like that. I think it was a missed opportunity. A fun skit that would have gotten them a lot of hits would be Ember and Umber just hanging out and doing like what brothers do, like messing with each other. Using magic (laughs) and just kind of like picking on each other. That would have been funny. And probably, you know, a lot of hits would have come from that. Well, what about a flashback to, say, a moment where the two of them are creating the world and fighting with each other, that Ember's trying to put in all these crazy, chaotic things, Ember wants to structure it, and how they eventually come to compromise on it? Yeah, the flashback, that would have been perfect right when Q starts bringing up Ember, and Ember starts talking about how Ember messes up all of his worlds. Yeah. And then they show a flashback of that. That would have been awesome, yeah. Back at Breakbill's South. Q coaxes Alice with bacon, trying to reconnect her to her human side and to remind her of the good. Gluttony is an excellent part of being human. (laughs) Alice says she can't remember many others. With every good thing, no matter how small it is, it's always married to something that's completely disgusting and you can't escape it. Quinn admits they are animals, but shows her the good side. As he's wiping her hand, and showing her love, showing her lust. These are the things, these are the human qualities that we cling on to as humans. And he has to remind her, it's now his job to remind her that there's beautiful things to being a human. And it's, again, just another small step towards that, another little victory that he's had. Yeah, he has to remind her of love. Love is the most powerful thing. Read a Shakespeare book. <laughs> You'll find love is uh, very strong. Katie goes to see Harriet in the city. And explains what has happened. I was really happy to see Harriet. Here's your girl again. Yeah. We, we still don't know if she's good or bad. But I do know that she has such a stage presence or screen presence that I love it when she's on TV. This is feeling terribly bad to me, though. I must say. I'll let you finish first. She says she feels bad for Penny and would like to help. But if she gets exposed, she would be finished. Katie says Penny could be their mole. And he'd never have to know. She'd relay the information. Oh, yeah. Okay, so first of all, why is Katie acting like this? I hate when they do things that feel so out of character. She's making this shitty deal with her. She's already had circumstances of betraying Penny. And now he's dying. They're finally trying to get back together in this relationship. She's going behind his back. And she still doesn't even know what Harriet is really about. Can she trust this woman? Well, in her mind, she's not doing wrong. She's doing this to help. And it's something minor. I don't think she has, well, I know she has no love loss for the library. I mean, they kind of took Penny from her. And we've seen her do this in the past. I I wouldn't say out of character necessarily. I mean, we know she's a good person, but we were introduced to her as someone who was taking secrets from break bills and bringing it to the witches. To help her mother. But didn't she learn from that? You know, what a bad idea that is. Yes, but I think she feels that Harriet is a good person. 
Yeah, and I know that she didn't feel that way about the hedge witches, but she also didn't really know entirely what they were about and didn't care. All that mattered to her was helping her mother, and that wound her up in a very dangerous position. And same thing here. She doesn't really know what Harriet's about, and she doesn't really know what the order is about or if their purpose is important. But it seems like we're going to have to wait until season three to really know more about that. I was just really starting to believe in Katie. This sucks that we're going to have to see this part of her again. Yeah. Feels like a big step backward. Now we get the big scene, which actually shows us clips of different locations. First, at Break Bill South, Alice and Q are lying in bed after sleeping together when Q tells her it's been an okay day. He also killed a god. When I was a, a, a Niffin, I, I saw things. I saw everything from the beginning of time. Down. No, I, I understand the way the universe works, Q. The, the, the wellspring, the hierarchies, the plumbing. I was inside it. Gods like Ember have parents, you idiot. I, I'm not following. The old gods, the creators of the universe, of, of all magic itself. To, to Ember, we're like, we're like toys, but to them, we're, we're, we're cells. When we're harmless, they ignore us, but when we become malignant, they amputate. Now, if you're going to use stones like this, it's imperative... Excuse me? Excuse me, this is... Okay, wait, like, so there's an actual plumber? Like the Mario brother of the gods? Yes. And he can just... I guarantee you he's doing it. So this is kind of like what we've been talking about. What is the thing that's bigger that creates the magic itself and the world's? Here's talk about them. And so now they juxtapose this where other locations where the plumber is actually going. This was a cool scene. First of all, the plumber was so badass because he was just walking through nonchalant. If anyone gave him trouble, flick of the wrist and they're destabilized, opens up the box, plumbing box, <laughs> yep. shuts down the water, shuts down the magic. My friend uh, Mello, John Mello, he didn't like this. He thought it was kind of lame, like, oh, it's like plumbing? But I tried to explain to him that, think of it this way. We have these major gods who created a whole universe, and they need other gods or workers to keep everything moving. And that would include plumbing. I mean, to us, we say plumbing. But it's basically, you know, the movement of magic, the movement of life, the movement, you know, there's... Yeah, the plumbing is the lifeblood of their universe. It's where the magic lives. So this is the maintenance guy of all maintenance guys. And I, I think the metaphor is, is actually really great. It's good Me symbology too. that we can visually link to that. Yeah, I think I was able to change his mind. It, it, you got to take your mind off of just like, what, plumbing for my toilet? That's what they're doing? No. But the whole, the, the theory of it, you know, extrapolate from that and you'll realize what they really mean. And I think it's beautiful, actually. Yeah. I mean, we see break bills where Professor Lipson is teaching a lecture when the plumber walks in and he opens this door in midair. I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of cool. He shut off the water flow. In the Netherlands library, the emergency exit alarms are going off. He goes to Whitespire, and you see as he's walking through, he's putting up these magical walls. You know, it's like a force field so nobody can get to him. And they end that at Breakville South with Q calling for Mayakovsky. Uh, we assume asking for his help, and what are they going to do now without magic? And that's when hopefully the batteries will come into play. Yeah, but it seemed like that was happening 
right as the plumber was coming in and turning things off. Oh, I see. When, but then in the next scene, you get Dean Fogg talking to everybody, and that seems like it's a while later. Time it's has passed. Two months. Two months have passed. Okay, right. So you would think that if Mayakovsky had that, we would have found out in that scene when Q went to talk to him. Yeah, but maybe Mayakovsky is trying to figure things out on his own. I think he will come into play season three. I hope he does. Yeah, maybe just didn't tell them. That could be. That cut was a little strange. It was after a commercial, and it took me a second to realize time had flown by. Because they were all in a classroom, so I was like, wait, is this the past? It took me a second, but I thought it was really cool. There is no magic, and with no magic, there were no wards to protect brake bills. Yeah. So they had a fence. They had a physical fence to protect brake bills. Yeah, Julia brings that up later. I love that. There's a cool picture of that on their website. You should definitely check that out. Can you imagine being a magician, being someone with magic that you've been practicing and, and, and learning your whole life or ever since you knew you were a wizard? Magician, uh, not wizard. <laughs> and then it's just taken away from you like that. And I do have to commend Dean Fogg to say, we still have to learn the theories of it just in case magic comes back. Yeah, I agree. And just for keeping them all calm, if nothing else, focused on a task so they don't deteriorate and fall apart. You know, like even if it's distraction, that's so important in a crisis situation. And he's rallying them all together, making sure they remain focused, positive and together. That's a hard thing to do. Absolutely. So as we said, sometime later, we see Dean Fogg lecturing to the crew, and they're questioning these rumors they're hearing of magic popping up in various places. He says there's no evidence of a magical surge in any of the many areas the internet claims. Magic is gone everywhere, so the best they can do is accept it and continue the theoretical studies to stay ready for its return. But then we switch over to Alice. We see Friar Joseph appear to her. He's dying because of the death of magic. He says every inherently magical creature is all as they were, but those who drew power solely from the wellspring, like him, are dying. And then he warns her that as a niffin, she made many enemies, and one of them is after her, the lamprey. She did something to his family, we don't know what yet, but he knows she's there and she's weak. And then disappears. Okay, so there's a few things we learned. Niffin Alice was was busy when we didn't see her as soon as she was set free from the back she, of Q. And she was doing bad as I feared she might be. Friar Joseph is still there. Yes, he's dying, but he had so much magic in him that it's taking a while for him to die. But he did say like, so you're saying that all the creatures are as they were, but didn't he say that vampires were dying and the dragons were dying? He says they were as they were before. And I don't know what that means. If, if they are inherently magical, what does is, what is as they were mean? You know, they're not dying like him. He says those from, that drew from the wellspring are dying. It's, it's kind of unclear the distinction between the two. That's probably on purpose. So I, I'm guessing by inherently magical, he means creatures like the fairies. You know, somehow they're not uh, being touched yes. as badly as creatures like him are. You're right. I love this. So now, this is another storyline that's being spread out that we have to wonder for the off season. This is another fight that they're going to have to have. I don't know if you noticed, but they're doing this on purpose. These fights 
make our characters go out on their own and kind of learn about themselves while they do it. This season, well, the latter half of this season was Penny. The beginning was Julia. I think next season is going to be Alice. They're stronger as a crew, but I'm starting to think that they're doing this on purpose where some of these crew members have to go out on their own and fix their own issues in order to more fulfill themselves. Yeah, well, and then they come back stronger with the skills they've learned and are able to contribute better to the group. It it makes them all stronger in the end. So I'm very interested and intrigued for her storyline next. Did it seem like Friar Joseph cared about her a little bit? I was going to ask you, why did he return to warn her about this? I mean, you have to figure these are his last days. He has a lot of things that he was working on. He takes the time to go and give her the heads up. He must really care about her or think she is important something. If magic comes back, do you think he comes back or is he gone? I guess that depends on how long it takes, right, for it to come back. He he seems like he's pretty close to the end. Oh, my goodness. I just thought of something that I should have put together before. If Alice had remained a Niffin, she would probably be dead already because Niffins are pure magic. Well, no, I think she would have been lasting longer, like Friar Joseph, who's pure magic. It's taking them longer to die because of how much magic was in them. Oh, it is. But the more magic they drew directly from that pool, the more in trouble they ultimately are. Yeah, but Friar Joseph is drawing from that pool, and he's, he's still alive two months later. Yes, but what I'm saying is he is, is definitively, it seems, going to die. He has no chance because he's solely dependent on that wellspring and, and what the magic brought him. Whereas, you know, the people on Earth who are the least dependent on that, they're going to be fine. They won't have magic anymore, but they'll continue to exist absolutely okay. And she definitely would not have. It just puts it into focus all the more that Q really did save her life. Margot says without magic, the people are terrified. One step from an angry mob. They need to be ruled. She wants curfew, martial law, public punishment. Elliot, of course, thinks they need to be inspired. So they are at odds, but I think they're the yin and yang for themselves. And they need that. The push and pull. That's when the council drags Fen in. She explains... She gave the fairies her toes to get back and warn Elliot that you're coming. And then they show up. Dun, 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 dun. Kind of a, not really a very good sacrifice. She only had a second to tell them there's nothing they can really do about it. That sucks. And this is what I want to tell you about my friend John Mello's theory. This is kind of interesting. It's about the baby. We kept saying, why do they want the baby? Why do they want the baby? And then we were starting to think they wanted Elliot to take care of this issue with Ember. Are they not happy because they killed Ember and now the magic's gone? They should have known better. And why do they want to go to war now? I mean, basically, they're there to fight. Mello thought that their plan could be that after taking out the current humans in charge, their baby, quote-unquote, would be the high king slash fairy, and they can rule. So this was their long plan, to get the baby, make it one of theirs, Well, let them take out Ember and the magic so that they could actually go and do this because I'm sure Ember would not let this happen. Now that Ember's gone, they can take out the humans and there's only one human left. That's their baby. And he will be High King. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. But in a world like this, um, so destroyed and with no magic and 
probably now in very great danger from the old gods to even exist. Does that matter anymore? You know, is that really important now? Who's high king? Well, they still have magic. And now they hold the upper hand. So any favors that anyone in Fillory need, they can make bargains. I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is right, but it kind of makes sense. And uh, I mean, why else would they want the baby? No, it definitely does. And I had thought that in the beginning. I just wonder if it's become inconsequential in light of recent events and everything that's gone down. But yeah, I mean, it really depends. What is the future of Fillory now? Are they just shutting off magic? Do they intend to come in and do worse? Are they going to take over the world, destroy the world? Um, I guess we have to wait to see their response to it. The old gods, that is. All I know is I hate the fairies, and we know who the bad guys are going to be for at least the first half of season three. Hopefully these are going to be better foes, and they don't just wipe them out in a half an episode. In the last scene outside, we see Julia show up, and she explains to Q it was easy to get into break bills now. He says, right, because I killed all magic. Apparently she had gone back to law school, but quit again. And she wants to show him something because she trusts him. She starts trying a spell. Q says, you know, they all have flashes of magic, but they can't really do it. Yet it turns out she can. Listen, this was a great scene because it was reminiscent of season one when they're outside of that bar and she is not a member of Breakbills. She should not know magic and Q knows magic and they have the little strife like, this is my thing. You know, why do you always have to be the best at everything? This is my thing. And she shows him that she has magic. That's the same magic that she does here in this scene, the little spark. That same spell. And it's them alone again. I think this was beautiful. It was a great tie-in. It was a great, you know, little bow on it. It's going to be up to her, maybe, to make everyone realize that there's still a possibility. And it's just, you know, it's another journey they have to go on. The question is, though, why does she have it when no one else does? Now... I had thought about something, and I don't think this is the answer, but when we saw Quentin finish off Ember, his magic went into that sword. They were able to harness it and use it. So when they killed Umber, we saw that energy come out, and they were able to harness the magic and put it into the sword so that they could kill Ember. When Ember then died, we saw the same energy come out of him. And for a minute, I actually thought that was going to go into the sword, And it seemed like it just dissipated. But then I thought, why didn't they do something to harness his magic as well? You know, talk about a missed opportunity. There was one more god left there. Do you think there's any way she somehow took that magic? No, I don't think so. I I think she's more powerful than we know. I think having a baby inside of her, a god baby, will probably still have some long-lasting effect or maybe permanent effect. But I was thinking also that In this loop, she had to figure it out on her own, without help of break bills, without anything at first. And she was able to. She was able to read books and make that spark. So Julia might be the one that needs to find a way to get magic when everyone thinks there is none left. She's done it before. I had thought about that and I had considered it. It would seem to make sense if there was, you know, magic out there to be harnessed. From what we know, though, the magical flow has been cut off. No matter how good or talented you are, the energy is just not there to be utilized, at least not enough of it. 
so it seemed like the only magic we could have is stuff that was left over from before, something that was harnessed or stored somewhere like we were wondering about Mayakovsky's storage cell. Yeah, this is enticing. This is something that we won't learn till next season. Let me ask you, in the books, did they kill Ember? No, everything's happening really different at this point. And they're mixing book things throughout from one, two, and three. They're going off script in certain areas. So I really have no idea where they're going with this. I did wonder too, though, if it wasn't some kind of power that they'd stored up from Ember's death or something that existed elsewhere, could this be Persephone at work? Again, because clearly the old gods still have magic and we saw Persephone feel for Julia and help her once. Yeah, and Julia showed that she could, even without her shade, overcome that feeling and let the fox go, which I think did put her in the good graces. And you're right, I thought about that earlier today as well. I totally forgot. This could be Persephone. Let's say, you know, we always see that all the gods, they rift between each other. They have rifts. They, they fight often. They argue. This could be some of the major gods' decision to do this. And Persephone is not really into taking away the magic for this. Yeah. And I think it's taken two months, but she's trying to find a way to sneak magic back in to her to try to, uh, you know, spark it again and, and move things forward. Yeah, I think that's a definite possibility. We're certainly left with a lot of questions after this season finale. It makes it exciting going into season three. Yes, and as we said last episode, there is going to be a season three, which is very exciting. Hopefully we can get Arjun Gupta on here and we can uh, talk to him about season three and all that stuff, or what he (laughs) can talk about. There's a lot of questions. You know, there's questions that will not be answered because they're just kind of like, you know, silly questions like... um, could those other gods go into Fillory? You know, did they ever visit yeah, Ember and Umber and like chat? I don't know. That's a good question. I assume they can probably do whatever they want. Maybe they haven't cared enough to pay it any mind up until now. But again, it's coming on their radar. So I'm sure they have some kind of plan. I also had other questions such as what is the order up to right now? What does this say about changing your fate? Is there really no changing it? Because perhaps this is what was written all along, the actions that led up to the great blank spot. And things regarding our characters. What does this tell us about Q being the hero? We wanted him to step up this entire time and do something. And he finally does, and look at the consequences of what that creates. Yeah, but, you know, you can't blame Q. And we know that no one's blaming Q more than Q is. But for the Florians, what would you rather be, non-existent or without magic? Well, I guess maybe without magic is too much to deal with. Maybe they're saying non-existent, asshole. <laughs> but and it's not. It's not like I'm saying it's his fault. I just mean, what is the storyline trying to tell us about his character and his place, what he should be trying to do? You know, and that's something I've questioned before about Quentin because he's a very different kind of main character hero, if you will, than we're used to seeing in stories. On the online quest, it was pretty cool. They broke it down into two parts. So you had two, you had the card playing one and you also had to connect the dots. And there was a great video of Dean Fogg at the end. But they did say something that was really cool. With magic gone, every magician across the multiverse is going through the five stages of grief, while the rest of mankind has no idea anything has changed. Well, besides the fact that all iPhones stopped working. (laughs) So that means iPhones are magic, 
which I like that. It's so, you know, so magicians. It's perfect. Because <laughs> especially when iPhones were new or smart, you know, it was the sp- first smartphone. That was magic to us. It's true. They also said, well, shit, this is really happening. Magic dies. If you've always defined yourself as a magician and you suddenly find yourself living in a world with no magic, what are you? And, you know, that's why they'd be going through these five stages of grief, because it's an identity crisis now. What do you do without that? And that's why at the end it prompts you to join Plaxco, basically just give up and live the rest of your life in this uh, boring company. Yeah, get a real job like we have. That's so depressing. Like you used to be able to go on adventures, do magic. You probably didn't even have to cook. You can just conjure things up. Of course, I'm getting a mental image of Fantastic Beasts when she cooks for them. But, you know, uh, you can't go to an ATM and just take out money with magic. You actually have to get a job. Oh, so depressing. And then I realized, wow, that is my life. And I'm saying that would be depressing. Nope, that's my life. Oh, depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's so much more to keep talking about themes from the season in general and how this relates to the book. We're going to try to save all of that for our bonus episode. So just talking about episode 13, the finale, let's go to our rating. Jason, what do you give it? Episode 13 gets 9.8 crowns, just like last episode. I really enjoyed both of them the same. There were so many storylines. The beats were great. You know, I'm just going to repeat myself at this point, but I just, I really enjoyed it. And I'm really excited for season three. I agree. And so much so, you're not going to believe it. I'm giving it a 9.9. I believe this is your first 9.9. Ever. Maybe, Ever. A, well, no, Game of Thrones I've given a 9.9 before. But to any other show we've rated on CKC, I don't think I've gone that high. Hey, I agree with it. Go for it. 9.9 um, crowns. It's everything I've been waiting for for a long time. It's been culminating. I enjoyed the last couple of episodes leading up to this. There were also so many twists. I had a vague idea of what to expect from the book background, and they blew the doors off that. They have so many of their own directions they're going in. And I really, really like what they have to say and how they've taken the source material and adapted it. They definitely ended with a bang. This is how you want to end a season. Absolutely. So who was your MVM? Believe it or not, I'm going Quentin again. So in the end of the season, he pulls off two MVMs. And it makes sense. I mean, he was there for Alice, got her out of the funk. He tricked Umber and killed Ember. He's the man right now. I agree. It was really hard for me because I've named, I think all of them are are magicians throughout the course of season two. So I'm going to give one that I don't know if it fully qualifies and you tell me, but I'm giving it to Ember and Umber. (laughs) That look on your face scared me. I know they are not magicians the way we think of them, but they are capable of practicing magic. They are magical beings. We learned so much more about them in episode 13. They're behind everything in Fillory. I mean, yes, there's something bigger than them, but they were the harmony, the balance, the reason for everything we've been seeing. I loved hearing about that. What goes on behind the scenes that you don't really know? Our crew is like puppets being pulled on strings, and these are the puppet masters. I love the relationship between the two of them, the emotions we got to see. And even though it was a little anticlimactic, even even their deaths were poetic. Especially that ending scene with them both laying down. And it turns out Ember's behind a lot of the magic we've been seeing. So that's all I have to say, but our Clatchers had comments. First on episode 12, ones that we didn't get in time. 
Anastasia said she loved how things were coming together in episode 12. There's a few things she really didn't see coming. So much humor and drama. But she was a little upset about Persephone, uh, pretty much everything we talked about. Herself the victim of a forcible abduction and marriage, in mythology at least. And she's been quite happily sitting back letting Reynard rape and murder his way through the hedge witches of the world. And then she turns up when it looks like someone might actually be prepared to do what she never did, which was stop him. She only turns up because Julia and Katie might be able to kill him. I mean, she's a piece of work. <laughs> and yes, I am shouting because this really, really got up my nose. <laughs> I like that. Got up my nose. I want to use that phrase. And I couldn't have agreed more. The only thing that keeps me from, from freaking out about it is I think there's more going on with her. She has a story and we might understand better once we get some of that. Oh, for sure. Tara Sheik posed us a couple of deep questions coming out of episode 12. Who created the fountains? Who created the other worlds? And who wrote the dang books? <laughs> and have we answered all of them? Is it the old gods for all? Well, maybe. You might be right. She well, had wondered if they were being magically written at the library, which it seems they kind of were. I think they definitely were because they will no longer be working. Oh, that reminds me. Holy shit, I can't believe I almost forgot. Do you think Penny's still dying? My thoughts were that Penny now should be okay because what was in him killing him was magic. Oh, that's good. So I think he's going to be all right come season three. I like that take on it. I'm I can't go believe I almost forgot that. I kept saying to myself, remember to say this, remember to say this. And then when we got to the scene, I forgot. <laughs> there was so much going on here. She also says her husband, who loves sci-fi, wanted to tweet and say that all sci-fi channel shows have cringeworthy effects. Hashtag fairies. <laughs> but if they're going to be a bigger part of next season, maybe they'll invest a little more in them. I don't know. I was looking at some videos and their, their take on it was they wanted to make them look beautiful yet scary. Mm. And when you put it that way, the way they look does display that or portray that. It does that. come across. I just wanted a little bit more, perhaps. Uh, I had mentioned that even with seeing their realm, it was kind of a shortcut because we saw it with the two dimensions overlapped. So you were kind of just seeing White Spire a little bit overgrown <laughs> with greenery draped around. You know, you weren't really seeing the fairy realm. True, but I don't think Margot and Josh would have found them if that didn't happen. Oh, definitely. Because I would have been like, this must have just happened with what was going on because why would Margot be lost if it was her own kingdom that it looked like, you know, just with bushes and shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Josh was a bit of a sidebar in this episode, but that's okay. No, he, there he, wasn't baked, too much. he baked the cakes. Yes. Yes, he did. We just didn't get a lot of screen time with him, but I think that's okay. Emily also said, oh my God, it would be hilarious if the Magician's Finale had a reference to the unicorn Frappuccino, even before it existed. It <laughs> seems too perfect. I, oh, love I love that. Of the finale, Mel said, best episode yet. And when we tweeted that they warned us killing a god would have consequences, she said, you just had to remind us. <laughs> and Christopher said, yes, they did. And this really was the best episode this season. So incredible. Chris, I agree wholeheartedly. Listen, this has been a great journey that we went on. The ups and downs, 13 episodes, and I think it's been a great time, and I really appreciate the Clatchers being on board for this journey. I just want to remind you that we have another episode coming with a bonus, and it's up to you to help us get Arjun Gupta on this episode. We need you to tweet to him. 
you know, don't be annoying, but just, you know, one tweet, a polite tweet asking him to come onto this podcast. And guys, if you have Twitter and you're not following us yet, please oh. follow us and this will and help us. Not only that, but he would have hopefully some things to tell us about next season. In an interview, he said, I think there's a wealth of material for us to use for season three. There are elements of the third book in this season even. So we've kind of opened them up non-linearly and used landmarks to tell the story and we can continue to do so. And regardless, we will definitely be talking about all of that and more on our bonus. Yeah, so we if we don't get him on the podcast, we have plenty to talk about, so definitely tune in. And don't forget, we will be doing Game of Thrones, so go ahead and go on your iTunes or Google Play and find that channel or just go to our main channel. Now, in the meantime, we do have some podcasts that are going to be coming out, and we'll let you know about it on our social networks, but also... If you want to fill a void, go to our Patreon page. We have so many bonus and movie episodes for you guys to check out already. Just become a member and you can go on this new journey with us. And every month we're pushing out more content and I think you'll really enjoy it. We don't talk about this a lot. I just want to take a quick second here because there were certain people asking. There are a few levels that you can join, depending on what works for you for Patreon. The $1 level will get you extra content, and you can talk to other Clatchers about everything that's going on with all of our shows. The $5 level will get you an extra bonus podcast each month. And the $10 level will get you a movie review podcast each month on a movie that's either new and hot or a throwback that you guys are interested in hearing about. And every time you go up to a new level, you obviously get all the rewards from the level before, too. Also, the $10 level gives you 10% code every month to get all of our gear on our coffeeclatchcrew.com website. And it's not just about the content. It's also about you knowing that you're helping us out because it costs us almost $200 a month just to have the bandwidth to get you these free podcasts. So basically, you're helping us pay to continue to have fun with you guys. Yeah, I just keeps being put back in here so we can put out that product that hopefully you enjoy. And it has created a great community. Not that our whole Clatcher community isn't amazing, but the Patreon is something different. I don't know. It it feels like we get maybe a little more personal in the bonus cast. So we get to know each other really well. And that's been a lot of fun. We get great feedback about news from our Clatchers that we didn't know. Yeah, and they also send us audio responses, and their voices are on our podcasts, which is really cool. It creates even more of a sense of community. So stay tuned for everything we have in store for CKC coming up. We'll see you next week for the bonus. Let's keep our fingers crossed, and let's get the word out. Let's get Arjun Gupta on the podcast. Real quick, I do want to apologize for Achilles being very loud during this podcast. Trust me. It was annoying for us too. There was a hundred times that we paused and tried to get him to calm down. He's in a different environment and he's being a little bitch. So we're sorry for that. We try to give you the highest quality possible, but this is the best we could do this week. This is going to be the odd circumstance. Most of the times this won't happen. Uh, We do feel bad about that, but it is all three of us now signing off. (laughs) We love you guys and Achilles loves you too. Until next week, this rounds on me. 40 times, 40 times I relived the same months of my life trying to find any variable that would stop the beast to save you, to save your friends, to save the world. 
Thank God I kept you alive so that you could cause this. There aren't enough intoxicants in the world to make your life as vital, as vital as it was with magic. So by all means, drink. Drink yourself into oblivion. But don't expect it to help. It doesn't. I know what it's like to have lived with an ability so essential that you cannot conceptualize life without it. <laughs> and then to suddenly have it taken away in an instant. Now you too must deal with the same. You lived without magic before break bills, and you shall do so again. You'll take planes instead of portals. Get a job instead of knocking off ATMs. Face your problems instead of fleeing into another world. Sack up. You're alive. You're welcome. You may not have magic, but you'll always be a magician. You can. Arm yourself with knowledge. Push the bounds of human ability and understanding, even without casting. Or you can, you can go jack off in the Plaxco office and cry. The choice is yours. <laughs> Please hang up and try again.